Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. It's mid-October in pheasant country. The grass has turned brown. The trees are full of color and the air is cooling. It's time to pack for that pheasant hunting destination trip. And during today's episode of On the Wing Podcast, I'm joined by three members of the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever employee team who live in the heart of pheasant country. In fact, they live in three of the biggest pheasant destination states in the country, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Iowa. During today's episode, we're going to get a forecast for those big three pheasant states, what to expect for the season ahead, as well as we'll talk about highlights in some of the communities that are holding Pheasants Forever chapter banquets during the weeks around opening weekend in North Dakota, South Dakota, and Iowa. And I'll also ask each of my guests to give us their best hack, their one tip for pheasant hunting success in their home state. So joining me on this episode of On the Wing Podcast, you're going to hear her voice quite a lot in the coming weeks. She's joining me and and our entire crew on Rooster Road Trip 2022, Renee Tamala. Renee was with us on the Rooster Road Trip last year as well. She's our regional representative for North Dakota. Matt Morlock makes another return to On the Wing podcast, our state coordinator for the state of South Dakota, and making his inaugural podcasting debut uh, from the state of Iowa, Eric Sitzma. So welcome to Eric um, for for being the lid lifter on his podcasting uh, expertise. Um, um, so I'm going to ask each of you to give a little bit of background if folks haven't heard you on the podcast before or don't know you, and then we'll dive into the meat of the conversation. So, so Renee, um, give us a little bit about who you are, where you grew up, and, and what you do for the organization. Sure. Thanks, Bob. I am the senior field representative for PF in good old North Dakota, and since Matt's on here, I will add the better Dakota. Uh, <laughs> I am based centrally here in Bismarck. I am originally from Minnesota though, and while I do travel over that way to get my fill of lakes and trees quite often, I've been in love with the prairie out here for about seven or seven years or so now. Um, I'm a biologist by trade. I went to school up in the frozen tundra of Crookston, Minnesota for wildlife <laughs> management, and I actually just passed the five-year mark with PF, which feels pretty darn crazy. I have the privilege of working alongside our grassroots chapters to raise funds and then drive those dollars into the ground and into the field through habitat projects, outreach events, state initiatives, national programs, uh, you name it, and a lot more. So I cover all of North Dakota where we have 23 chapters and I actually just had two from Montana added to my roster recently. Um, and I will just say that I have the best uh, best volunteers up here in North Dakota that keep me really busy, and I just really love what I get to do. 
And you have a wonderful young German wire hair named Quill. Yes, Quill is still one, which is crazy, but he's he's very tired today. He's been hunting, so he's sleeping <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> Where did the name Quill come from? Ah, I really just wanted something that resembled my love of nature and the outdoors and kind of not a cheesy, corny way. Uh, mm. And so Quill was at the top of the list, just the quill of a feather, uh, mm. not the porcupine quill as some people think, <laughs> um, but really just representative of my love for nature and the outdoors. Mm. And a natural transition dog naming to uh, Matt Morlock, a state coordinator in South Dakota, who just happened to name one of his early bird dogs um, Bob, which if you're ever going to hunt with somebody named Bob, don't name your bird dog. Bob, right, Matt? I that was one of, yeah, that's a hunt that <laughs> um, I always get a chance to, you know, speak highly of you, Bob, because I can never figure out why you're responding to swear words followed by Bob. <laughs> I, nobody would ever swear at you. So, um, meanwhile, that setter was that was a common thought. It was an expletive many names. <laughs> yeah, I I was uh, trying to. Be in your good graces after that hunt. <laughs> it's the dog, Bob, not you. And the world's one of the world's only flushing English setters for a couple of years. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that like to run big, but not whole points. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Give us your background, Matt. You're you're a South Dakota native, aren't you? I am. I grew up here in South Dakota. Um, the Renee's got me a tough spot because I can't really fight the North Dakota South Dakota thing because. I am now running both states as far as a state coordinator. Mm -hmm. I can't join in on that banter. Sorry, Renee. Um, I would have disagreed with that's you true. a year ago, but <laughs> that's true. I miss I misidentified your title. You're state coordinator for both South Dakota and North Dakota. So yeah. my apologies. No, you're fine. Um, so both states are at the top. Um, hmm. Way better than Iowa. Um, it's just you know we're. The Dakotas are <laughs> are where it's at, especially when it comes to upland hunting. Um, but no, yeah, I'm, I grew up in South Dakota. Um, was fortunate I grew up with a dad that was a game warden, so I've been around the field for all 45 years of my life. Uh, hmm. I was fortunate. I think I've saw, said before when podcasts. I grew up in a time when you were encouraged to bring your family along to work for the department. Hmm. So my earliest memories are riding around in a game warden truck. Um, checking hunters, um, taking part in banding surveys, and just lived outdoors with the GFMP crews around the state. Um, so when I was choosing a profession, my dad's like, are you sure you want to go into wildlife field? I'm like, well, this is kind of your fault. You raised me around this. It's what I know. It's what I love. So I just naturally gravitated to it. Um, went to school at South Dakota State, um, the better university in the Dakotas. Um, and yeah, just never left and just love it here. Um, mm. I get, I get to, uh, work with the two phenomenal teams in both North Dakota and South Dakota. Um, that's my role as I oversee our staff and I work with our partners and develop programs um, across the Dakotas. And there's a lot going on and there's a lot to look forward to, um, in both States. It's going to be a phenomenal year. Well, biting his tongue. Uh, it, it, as you took shots at Iowa, we we welcome Eric Sitzma, 
to the conversation. Eric, thanks for joining. Thanks for putting up with uh, all of Matt's banter. Um, <laughs> what's your? What, tell us your background, Eric. Well, you know, those unsolicited shots, they're... They, that it happens. I mean, not everybody gets the privilege of living in the best state in the country, and I, I, I do. So, you know, I, I kind of expect some of that. But uh, my backstory: I live in Oskaloosa, which is in beautiful southeast Iowa. I'm lucky enough to live just a few miles from where I grew up. I grew up uh, living in farm country, hunting on all the neighbors' properties, and fishing a lot. And went to school for wildlife ecology at Iowa State University in Ames. And after moving around a little bit, I got back with the bird club in 2010 and got to move back home. And I've been here ever since and don't intend to go anywhere. I'm lucky to be around family and in an area that's right on the border between the pheasant and the quail range. And I have all kinds of great public pieces to hunt and private pieces to hunt. And anything I want to chase is right around here. So I'm pretty lucky. Cool. Cool. Well, as I mentioned in the preview, it's kind of a two-part um, goal for my mind for this podcast. One, you know, hunting seasons are starting to open up, and I want to talk a little bit about the forecast in these three states. But they're also destination states, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa. You dra- drive around, um, particularly the public lands, um, you see license plates from Wisconsin and Minnesota and Michigan and Illinois, Pennsylvania and Georgia and Washington State and um, Idaho. You see states from all over the country travel to the Dakotas and Iowa. And our, our Pheasants Forever chapters in these communities, you know, this is not a surprise. It's a huge influx of uh, tourism for these communities and it's an opportunity for our chapters to hold events when there's a lot of people that are interested in bird hunting and interesting and in joining together with like-minded folks from those communities to have a good time raise a little money for pheasants forever and our habitat mission and uh, share some stories so we're going to talk also, in addition to the, the prospect, hunting prospects, just a little bit about what uh, chapter events are coming up in conjunction with these openers. We're going to go around the horn, talk North Dakota, South Dakota, and Iowa. Uh, before I jump in there, you know, as, as any traveling bird hunter knows, a, a tremendous tool to have in their pocket is Onyx. Onyx is a national sponsor of Pheasants Forever, national sponsor of Quail Forever, and a uh, official partner of On the Wing podcast. Um, and Onyx is so much more than just private and public land boundaries. It's got countless tools to help um, everyone become a more successful and safer bird hunter. Um, because Onyx is such a tremendous partner, they are offering a seven-day risk-free trial to anybody that uh, downloads the app. And if you use the code pheasants or quail during the checkout process, you can get 20% off your membership at onyx.com. And you'll also be heartened to know that a portion of every Onyx sale using the codes pheasants or quail um, generates a donation from Onyx back, back to our wildlife habitat mission, 
leading to better habitat, more wild birds, and creating more public land. So thank you to Onyx. And no matter where you're hunting this year, make sure to download that, that Onyx hunt app. All right, so let's dive in. North Dakota, North Dakota has the distinction of, uh, well, North Dakota and South Dakota um, have both opened to resident hunters at this point. Um, on, as we record today on October 11th, both seasons for residents opened on October 8th. A little bit of a distinction there in North Dakota. You can be a non-resident and hunt private land or federal land as of last weekend, but the full suite of public lands, plots lands, state WMAs opens up on the 15th. So um, Renee is a resident in North Dakota and it was able to get out this this past weekend. Uh, let's start there, Renee. Um, you, you did uh, get to follow Quill along, so uh, you have us envious that you were out chasing longtails. What'd you find? What's, uh, what's the landscape look like in North Dakota this season? Well, I see that you started the best goes first. So, uh, yeah, as you said, Bob, <laughs> we're three or four days into our pheasant season now. Uh, Sharp-tailed grouse and partridge opened up just about a month ago today, actually. So we've been hunting up here for quite a bit, uh, best time of the year. Over the weekend for opener, I was up in the northwest part of the state for a chapter banquet and had the chance to hunt up there afterwards, which shamefully was my first time hunting up in the northwest. I probably shouldn't admit that, but I've always known it was a kind of a hidden, overlooked gem. But man, I was entirely impressed with how many birds are up in that part of the state. Hmm. We did see a lot of birds that are really young yet, and that was the same case for grouse when it opened up in September, though, too. Um, some roosters with markings just starting to show, passed on a few young ones. Some were just too hard to ID, so it was kind of a lot of yelling, hen, and mm. then standing there looking confused at each other, like, I don't, I don't actually know what that was, but... Um, wheat is off here, corn and beans are starting to come off, and sunflowers will be next. So as of today, there's quite a bit of standing crop out there. But we've had a couple years or so of quite a bumpy ride here in North Dakota. Extreme drought, really untimely, significant weather events, aka hail and the beloved blizzards. Uh, mm -hmm. But this year's winter was finally fairly mild. The spring was a little delayed. But we started getting a good amount of moisture, which led to a really good growing season. So the cover out there is the best that I've honestly seen in years. It's crazy to see a, see cattle grazing out in a pasture and to see it up, up their sides. Uh, we haven't seen that in quite some time. It also seems like we're absolutely crawling with a Hungarian partridge. So if that's ever been on your list... Uh, so much so that Quill pointed a nice covey of Huns in a gas station parking lot on our way up to the <laughs> banquet, and then again in the hotel parking lot when I was airing him out in a in the parking lot or the vacant lot next to the hotel. Uh, so we're crawling with Partridge. Um, overall, honestly, it just feels really good to finally be able to say that the getting is good in North Dakota again. Mm. Yeah, that that. I was there for the Sharpie opener, like you mentioned, a month ago in September, and 
the cover is tremendously different in a positive way from a year ago when it was a drought, emergency haying and grazing, and it felt like all the birds were concentrated into really the best stuff. And where you found the best stuff, you found a lot of birds, but the competition was super intense for those good spots. This year, feels like the bird numbers are pretty similar, but they are spread out on the landscape because everything looks great right now. And like I mentioned, I, I haven't seen a, a hun probably three years, and uh, they were popping like popcorn this fall. Like, they're, they, they are really on the landscape in North Dakota in numbers that I don't remember in the last decade. So that's it's a really fun year to be in North Dakota for sure. Apparently that kind of correlates with drought, which is something that I didn't really know, but their mm. populations seem to do better in drought years which is mm. why we're seeing so many this year, because we have had it the last couple of years. The bounce back. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so I know a lot of chapters plan their banquets in conjunction with with opening days, and some of your openers, or your opener has already happened, and I'm sure some banquets have already happened, but what's what's still yet on the horizon for banquet season in North Dakota? We still have four left to go, and they're four good ones. Uh, this coming Saturday, October 15th, we have banquets in both Cullum and Braddock. So Braddock's not too far from Bismarck, and then Cullum's down in the southeast. On October 8th, or 28th, which is a Friday, we do have one in Jamestown. Mm -hmm. And then October 29th, we wrap up the, wrap up the banquet season in Ashley, North Dakota. So... I will say a very big thank you to residents and non-residents that are going out to support their local chapters because they're truly only as strong as their community support and it's a phenomenal way to give back to the resources in that area. So uh, truly thank you guys for going out and supporting those chapters. That That's a good, pull on that string a little bit about our unique model and how, you know, I, I think we all know it, but maybe some of the listeners maybe don't understand how chapters function within the pheasants forever and quail forever model Renee. absolutely so we do have a unique grassroots model where our chapters retain 100 percent decision making control over the funds that they raise so that means that their annual fundraisers and their raffle tickets that they sling throughout the year all of that money stays locally so that they can retain decision making control over it and get more mileage out of it so they are able to give locally at the state and national levels for programs and initiatives. And truly that support, that mission delivery is, is possible because of the support. So our chapters are doing phenomenal work out on the landscape. And the, that, that grassroots model is possible for two reasons. The first is volunteers that put it to really hard work and put their shoulder behind that grassroots model. And then the second is memberships to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. So mm -hmm. uh, both entirely important. Yeah, right on. Um, and, and folks, whether you're residents or non-residents, you can go to Pheasants Forever Events, three words, dot org. Pheasants Forever Events dot org. And you can find a calendar of events, Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever whether it's chapter banquets, learn to hunt events, um, membership drives, you can, particularly as we're talking about non-resident uh, traveling to new communities, 
you can figure out when you're going to be in a community and hopefully attend a banquet and help that local chapter create more habitat and access in those communities that you're uh, visiting. Uh, let's jump south to Matt. Uh, another state that has sort of a split resident and non-resident opener, although it's a little different than the way North Dakota does it. Um, residents only were able to, to start hunting last Saturday, September 8th. I'm sorry, October 8th. This Saturday, October 15th, it's what's called, I believe, the traditional yep. pheasant opener in South Dakota. Uh, and the season runs till the end of January in South Dakota. Uh, what are you seeing on the landscape, Matt, in South Dakota? Yep, so it's South Dakota, it's kind of a weird spot this year where the north half of the state had the moisture that North Dakota got. The cover looks really good, really excellent. Um, but then you get kind of south of Highway 14, Highway 34, we stayed in a drought this year down there. Um, so a lot of the land, a lot of areas were hayed again. Um, or stuff that wasn't hayed last year got hayed this year. Um, so I, I do encourage when you get that southern part of the state to go out and scout ahead of time, um, make sure the cover's there. But the good point is bird numbers are really high in both areas. Um, I was out, I didn't go out hunting this weekend for the resident opener. I was doing some work on our farm, um, but I did sneak out and just kind of drive around and see, I wanted to get an idea of how many people were out hunting. Um, drove around and covered a good 30 mile area around our farm. Um, that's usually a hotbed, has lots of public access. Um, I didn't see a hunter. Oh, mm. he was out hunting, but what I did see was a ton of birds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, there's one crep area, which in South Dakota, our conservation reserve enhancement program is open to public hunting. Um, I drove by one of those and I counted 25 birds in the road ditch in a half mile. Um, and nobody out hunting at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't see, I was in the tractor. I, I won't send pins Renee. after what you said. <laughs> day, I'm not no, um, you know, I was out in the tractor all day and so you, you can see we were up in a tractor. I didn't see hunters out. Um, residents mm -hmm. weren't, for whatever reason, residents weren't out hunting. Um, but there was a ton of birds. Um, so there's a, it's, you know, this traditional open that's coming up this weekend. The birds are still naive. Um, that's a good news for everybody listening is, is the birds are pretty unharassed, at least where I was at. Um, it, it is interesting to me because I, I've interacted with a few volunteers that the South Dakota Pheasants Forever volunteers on social media. Not a single one of them hunted the resident opener. They're like, no, we like to wait till the traditional pheasant opener when all of our friends and family come back to town. It seems that's the rule, not the exception. Like most people wait. Yep. Is that true? That's very true. That's I was going to hit on that. And just that traditional pheasant opener, the third Saturday of October, Mm -hmm. It is such a cultural ingrained thing mm -hmm. that it's tough to shake it. I mean, I I didn't go. I went out and drove around and looked, but I didn't go. I'm waiting. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's just in, until you experience it, until you you see a South Dakota pheasant opener, it's hard to explain. But it mm -hmm. it really is Christmas in October, mm -hmm. um, and it's just it's been that way for so long down here that everybody just holds off and waits. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I can't explain it. Usually they're, you know, like me, we were out doing last minute things. A lot of this, the people in the state are still connected to farms in some way. Mm -hmm. um, so I was out 
you know, taking care of some weed control and, and that kind of stuff and trying to get some habitat more huntable, um, you know, and some pastures that we're renovating and things like that. So I was out mowing and making it so it's hunt more huntable for next weekend. Um, doing that kind of work instead of going out hunting. And I know I'm not alone with that. You know, I got a lot of friends that all of them, like you, Bob, talk to them at night and go, I'm waiting till next weekend. Um, like, like Renee said, there were a lot of young birds. Um, as I was flushing them on the, on the tractor, I'm like, hey, uh, I think that was a rooster. Um, so we did have a little bit of a late hatch, I think, um, which I wasn't expecting because nesting conditions this year were optimal. Um, and the birds have responded to that. It's, it's so i didn't expect to have a late hatch but it seems like there's quite a few young birds still out there um, i think it's going to be a phenomenal year um, really <clears throat> that i was also in south dakota for sharp tail season and and i you know so not in grassland area like where you find sharp tails but where grasslands and ag where they intersect i was in far northwestern south dakota and i don't remember ever seeing as many pheasants as i did this year yeah like i if you draw a circle like even north dakota that hedinger mott and you know in the south dakota side you know probably all the way out to mobridge um i mean i think it's gonna be a bumper year matt is that is that hyperbole, hyperbole, or do you think it's going to be a really good year? I think it's going to be a really good year. I really do. I This is going to be, I don't think we're to 07, 08. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bob, you were out for those years and how it was. I mean, you couldn't help but step on birds. Um, right. That was 60-year high in 07, right. 08. Right. We're probably not 60-year high, but no, we might be a 10-year high. Yeah, it's as high as we've been since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is unfair to to put it up against those 708 because those were 60 year highs those were just astronomical years mm-hmm. but no i think this is going to be a phenomenal a phenomenal year and i'm excited i just i can't wait to get out and usually I'm, you know me bob i'm usually that guy that i don't get excited till thanksgiving i'm a late mm-hmm. season hunter i love chasing them in the winter time um nothing's funner than strapping on snowshoes and going after them um you're there alone and the birds are it's just that's what I like to do. Mm-hmm. I'm actually pretty jacked up about this weekend. I think um, our crops, there's still quite a few crops in there. And Renee hit on that a little bit up there. I think most of our corn's still in. Um, mm-hmm. Beans are about half out. Um, the wheat's, wheat's out where there's wheat, um, but there's still quite a bit of standing crop. So Renee hit on this appropriately as well, but for folks that are maybe new to pheasant hunting, and are just wondering why we're talking about harvest for wheat and corn and soybeans and sunflowers. Give a little bit of the strategy there, why it's important to know um, harvest percentages. Now I'm going to have to come up with a good hot tip at the end because this is what I was going to dive into. Oh, okay. Then we'll save save that. We'll save that. That'll be your tip. No, I can. I'll Uh, do another one on the fly. We can go there. All right. All right. Go ahead. Um, So with with standing crops, a lot of times – those birds are going to, during the daytime are going to be out, especially in the cornfields. Um, and they're going to, you know, it's, it's perfect open cover so they can go out in those cornfields with high overhead and a lot of food in it. So they'll go out there for the day and hang out um, and just kind of mill around. And this isn't hunting pressure driven or anything like that. They do it naturally. 
Um, so when that corn's still standing in the fields, it really, during the daylight hours, it really sucks birds into it. Um, and so the best times to chase pheasants are kind of that hour, first hour of the day, and then the last hour of the day, because they're moving back to the grasslands to roost for the night. Um, so what my hot tip was going to be before this, and then I'll find a new one, is you know, <laughs> don't burn your, a lot of people want to get out there at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know, South Dakota opens up 10 o'clock. They want to get out there right away and hit the pavement really hard. And it, inevitably, you go back, drive through town at about 3 o'clock, and people are back in town. They're just tired, and it's hot, and they're done for the day. They didn't see a lot of birds. And if there's, you know, they, the forecasts were off. There's not a lot of birds. They're not out there when they should be out there. So, you know, my hot tip is, you know, let those first few hours pass and really go out in the afternoon, one, two o'clock, um, and start hunting. And you got to definitely be out there that last hour. Um, I don't know how many times I've, especially those first three, four weeks of the season while that corn's still standing, especially, um, hunted all day and shot one bird and then hunt that last hour with a group of guys and fill up our limits. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to stay with it and just not, now I hunt those first few hours and it, it's human nature to get excited and want to be out there and be a part of it right away. Um, you know, that old shotgun start and fishing tournaments, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. you want to get out there right away. Um, but it's better to hold back. And especially if you're hunting with older dogs or dogs that are going to tire out, um, that kind of stuff. You want to really pay attention to them and not put them through the paces early in the day because you're they're not going to be active at the end of the day and it's going to hurt you. So that's a valuable tip for South Dakota, but it it holds true South Dakota because your your day starts at ten. If you think about North Dakota, the hunting one. day starts, if I recall correctly, Renee, it's half hour before sunrise in North Dakota. So. Those birds, you can effectively hunt, yep. you know, for an hour, hour and a half before they leave their roosting grass and go into the crops, yep. right, Renee? Mm-hmm. Correct, yeah. It's nice to get out there bright and early, watch the uplands wake up and hit them before they're headed off to go feed and hang out in the sunflowers for right. a couple hours. Right, so their strategy varies a little bit based on the state. And then I look to Eric in, in Iowa, and I believe... You've got an eight o'clock start. So legitimately, you know, that eight to nine hour, uh, eight o'clock to nine o'clock hour is pretty effective in Iowa too. Absolutely. I I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in the parking lot with dogs ready to go waiting for that eight o'clock mark and watch the birds getting active. And, you know, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, a lot of the times they're going to move off into the crops just about five minutes before you're allowed to actually do anything about it. But you still catch some of them out in the grass for sure. Right. All right. We'll come back for the Iowa forecast. But Matt, tell us about some of the banquet high points in South Dakota coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a busy time for us, obviously, with it being South Dakota and the hoopla around the traditional opener. A lot of our chapters are going to be going with banquets. I'm going to kick off Thursday night on the 13th in Pier 4 Pier. Um, they always have a really good big banquet right there in the capital city. Um, then the next night, Friday, is the big one for us. And that night before the opener, um, we have banquets going on in Aberdeen, Mitchell, Falkton, and Westington Springs. Mm. Those are all big banquets for us, um, right in the heart of our prime pheasant hunting ground. And then 
on Saturday, they, there's two left to go in Lemon and in Platt. Um, so there's plenty of opportunity to get out there. Um, Sunday, we take the day off. We don't have any banquets that night. But um, yeah, those first, you know, that, especially Friday and Saturday around the traditional opener, there's a bunch of banquets going on around the state. Um, so there's an opportunity for no matter where you're at in the state hunting, there's a good opportunity to go to a banquet. And I can, I've been to all these locations for their banquets. Um, they're all big banquets and they're a good time. Yeah. A lot of fun with a lot of people there so if you're listening to this and you're road tripping to south dakota uh let's say the thursday night is what it's pier so you gotta go to the middle pier. of the state, then you gotta bounce yep. east and then friday night there was four yep. and you, you mentioned uh, aberdeen wessington springs Falkton. um Falkton, which is one. real and Mitchell, right? Yeah, the big one in Mitchell. That's the largest banquet in the state for, or in the country for presents for Yeah. And then Saturday night, you, you mentioned Lemon. Yep. And then Platt. Platt, okay. Yep. Um, and you can find details about those events as well as purchase tickets. And a lot of them um, will sell out. So you do want to jump on your phone, go to Pheasants Forever events.org and all these banquets whether they're in north dakota south dakota or iowa uh buy those tickets online or get in contact with the chapter and get your reservations locked up before uh before it sells out as well as you know um you're hunting in minnesota kansas nebraska you name it um lots of states coming up with banquets let's let's go to iowa a uh, little bit uh, later opener than than the Dakotas. Uh, always believe it's always the last Saturday in October this year. That means October 29th. Season runs through January 10th. One advantage of Iowa is so if if you go to North Dakota as a non-resident, you buy two seven-day licenses. You go to South Dakota, you buy two five-day licenses. If you go to Iowa. You can buy the whole year with one one shot, which is a nice little advantage there for the state of Iowa. Eric, what are, what are those um, uh, bird hunters going to find, residents and non-residents, in the state of Iowa when they chase roosters this year? And, and quail. Yes, sir. You know, I think you nailed it. Keep it simple. You don't need to drive all the way west to go over the, the Dakotas. I mean, you can stop in Iowa. We're happy to have you. There's plenty of birds to chase. And you might stumble upon some quail or some huns. And uh, yeah, we keep it simple. So uh, season does open October 29 and runs through January 10. Quail, you get a little bit of extra time. Quail runs through the end of January in Iowa. So after the pheasant season closes, we got a lot of folks that'll go out and chase Bob Whites for the last few weeks of January. Our numbers look pretty darn close to last year for the most part, which was an exceptional year. Um, I like to joke around. So Jared Wickland was the, the rep in Southern Iowa before I was. And about the time he moved up to Minnesota to take the job of a PR manager, our bird numbers started going up. And, you know, <laughs> some people will say it's the weather and I, I get that. But I'd like to think uh, I, I'm, I play a little part in it. But our bird numbers are, are up significantly and have been trending that direction for about a decade in southeast Iowa, we had some pretty serious ice a couple of years ago, and our, our Bob Whites especially took a hit pretty hard from that. But we're recovering, and the Bobs are up about 25% in southeast Iowa this year. 
and I highly recommend chasing those in Iowa if you haven't ever taken the opportunity. But uh, Northwest, North Central, West Central Iowa, especially the, the big complexes of public land with quality habitat on them are going to be loaded full of birds. And I would I'd highly recommend making a trip up there if you haven't before. Hmm. Yeah, that, that Northwest portion of Iowa does have a significant amount of public land it has um, kind of a unique landscape compared to what at least non-residents visualization of Iowa is like, right? Yeah, yeah. Iowa is a pretty diverse state uh, geographically. If you look up in north central and northwest, you're going to have a lot of those prairie pothole complexes mm -hmm. where you have upland wetlands surrounded by prairie. If you haven't been to the Lus Hills on the western edge of Iowa, I would highly recommend checking it out over uh, between Woodbury and Monona and Harrison counties, we've got a lot of IHAP properties, which is Iowa's uh, walk-in public access on private ground program. And there have been thousands of acres over in West Central Iowa enrolled in the last few years. And we got a lot of birds, a lot of pheasant and quail. And uh, that's some really unique topography. Mm. It's pretty steep. The South Central is rolling and beautiful. And uh, over in the east, along the Mississippi, you get some pretty steep ledges and you get some really beautiful timber country as well. Mm -hmm. you're, you're right. It, like for somebody that hasn't hunted Iowa, the vision is cornfields and flat. But you mentioned Les Hills, which the way if you wanted to look that up, it, it's spelled L-O-E-S-S, -S, correct? Yes, sir. It, it looked that up online and you're like, holy cow, this is... This is absolutely gorgeous place to hunt birds. It is. We've got a lot of a lot of hidden gems in the state. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I'd, I'd highly recommend coming over here and checking them out. Staying at the staying at the local hotel, visiting the restaurants, and getting out and chasing some of our public lands birds. Uh, banquets. What's coming up uh, for the state of Iowa in terms of uh, chapter banquets? Yeah, so if you're going to be over here for the opening weekend, I'd highly recommend coming over a couple days early because we have a banquet in Mount Pleasant, the Henry County Pheasants Forever Quail Forever Banquet that's on the evening of the 27th. So if you're over here scouting, that's a great place to stop. It's a great crew down there. We've got some wonderful volunteers. After that, we kind of take a break and really get after the banquets uh, the, the first weekend of November. Mm -hmm. So November 4 and 5, we've got a handful of some of our absolute biggest, most fun banquets. Uh, Powasheet County up in Grinnell and uh, Marshall Tama are both in central Iowa. Those are excellent banquets. Over in western Iowa, we've got Greene County. And then up north, we've got Mitchell Pocahontas and Winnebago Hancock counties all having banquets that first weekend in November. So regardless of which part of the state you're in, mm -hmm. uh, we've got an event for you to go to. Great. And as I mentioned previously, go to pheasantsforeverevents.org. Get your ticket to a banquet. It comes with a membership for the year, a great meal, and a tremendous camaraderie. And you're helping a local community create more habitat introduce more hunters and, and provide more access to public lands by being a part of your Pheasants Forever chapter, especially if you're, um, you know, you're non-resident taking advantage of some of those opportunities. We really encourage you to, to plug into that local chapter and, and uh, help us contribute back to the cause. 
All right, so I prepped each of you to give me a, a hack for a hunter that's traveling to your home state. Um, a insider's tip, if you will, for going to North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa. Just one. I'm not looking for the for the whole suite of, uh, of insider information, but one tip for the non-resident to put a maybe a rooster in their bag um, for for the coming season. We'll start with Renee in North Dakota. What's what's your one suggestion, Renee? So my suggestion is to uh, not be afraid to move slow. We walked a lot of places that had already been hunted, flushers and people were going through there and we, Quill and I kind of ran uh, the cleanup crew and picked up a lot of birds that were sitting very tight still because obviously they're not wild and birdy yet but mm -hmm. um, don't be afraid to go slow but my main one that I have for a hack is not original is that okay yes absolutely okay. I just recently listened to a podcast that our North Dakota game and fish department put out that had our upland game bird biologist on it and he made a mention to the phenomenal cover that we're seeing out on the landscape and articulated it in a great way so just because the cover is great now and looks like it would be filthy with birds does not necessarily mean that it's holding a lot of birds because there's a chance that that cover had not been there when it mattered most to the birds during broodering, uh, nesting season. Uh, just because it looks great now after a really phenomenal growing season, again, doesn't mean that it was that way when it counted most for the birds. So don't get discouraged if it looks like it's great and you don't see birds out of it. It might be because it just turned great over this summer and they're just not there yet. But that cover will hopefully hold over the winter and be great nesting cover uh, come spring. Okay. That's an interesting tip. Cool. Cool. Uh, Matt, since we, we already plugged you for your first tip, what's your second tip? All right. <clears throat> I got one. I came back up with more. Luckily, I've got some time under my belt, so I have a lot of them. Um, so I would say you know, when you walk up, you're approaching a property, it, sometimes it can be a quarter section or a half section in size and it gets kind of daunting, especially if you're hunting in a smaller group. Um, you really need to break that, that piece of property down and look at the edges and hunt those edges, whether it's a transition from a cattail wetland into grasslands or a transition from a cropland to a grassland, you hunt those edges. If it's a big, wide open space of the same kind of cover type. You can, there's birds in there, but they're going to be highly concentrated more on the edges. So if you're in a small group and you, you don't have the ability to just march across that thing, it would just find those edges and follow the edges of habitat when it's transitioning from one type to another. And it really makes those large properties um, more, not less daunting and more tackable for, especially if it's you following a dog or a group of two or three of you guys, just break it down and look at those transition areas between habitat types and hunt those edges. Cause the pheasant, especially, you know, they're an edge species and that's what they like to hang out in as transitions from cover type to cover type. So really look at those areas and focus in there. Um, the bonus one would be always trust the dog. <laughs> now you're stealing mine. Oh, see, <laughs> your round is fair play, Bob. <laughs> All right, Eric, what's your, uh, what's your Iowa hack? All right, so everybody else has given two, and I can't decide between one or the other. So I'm going to do two as well. 
So my first tip is make sure we've hit on Onyx a lot, but we have been consistently adding new pieces of public ground in Iowa every year. I would highly recommend doing your scouting between the IHAP sites and our Build a Wildlife Area program acquisitions. We do have quite a few new public properties in Iowa. And, you know, as those are still new, they don't get hit as hard by the by the public because they're not as aware of them. So check those out. Those are some hidden gems that haven't been pressured as much. So I would highly recommend hitting those. And my other one, you've heard a lot of people on your podcast say boots. I'm going to say it a little differently. Wear good waterproof boots. It doesn't matter if you're stopping in Iowa before you go up to the Dakotas or if you're stopping in Iowa because, you know, you don't need to drive all the way up to the Dakotas. We have some really awesome spots, especially in central Iowa, a lot of floodplain areas mm -hmm. that hold a lot of birds. And a lot of times you're going to have to walk through a little bit of water to get to them. You might be in a couple inches of water on the floodplain on your way back to some of those hidden spots along the river. You don't want wet feet, but there are an absolute stack of birds in some of our floodplain areas in central Iowa, and they're great to hit, and they're not as pressured. Mm -hmm. So wear good boots so you don't have wet feet while you're trudging around the, the floodplains, like on the South Skunk River, for instance, in <laughs> Mahaska County. Come visit me. Uh, Renee, go ahead. Yeah, I want to peg off what Eric said. Uh, focus on North Dakota up here. For those unfamiliar, last summer we rolled out electronically posted lands. Mm -hmm. And so Onyx is an invaluable tool to see those. So you have to be cognizant of the fact that just because it's not posted physically does not mean it's off limits because it's electronically posted. Right. So do your research and, and get the app because it will be a lifesaver for you. Yeah, that's a really good reminder because that is a unique change to North Dakota in the last two years. So to summarize, we got all kinds of tips galore from this crew renee kicked it off with a really really good one go slow i think we all have a tendency especially on opening day with that and um that amped up energy and excitement to to walk super fast and renee you know appropriately reminds us not only to kind of savor the hunt but there's a lot of birds that don't know what pressure is yet so they're holding tight and you can walk right by them um also renee you know mentioned don't get discouraged if, if everything looks good you know that's good news so you know keep walking and again that i think that feeds into taking it slow too because you could be walking past birds in tremendous cover so really really good ones um you know map hunt the edges and pay attention to the crops you know those are those are two really straightforward uh anybody that's pheasant hunted before you know knows that they're an edge species and knows that they're sort of a function of corn soybean wheat harvest as harvests are coming out that's when you're going to find those birds in the grasslands and paying attention to your time of day with the the first hour and the final hour of the day being probably the most effective. And then a little bit more tactical from Eric, you know, absolutely onyx, you know, knowing what your boundaries are and looking for new ones because those new spots can be some of the freshest habitat and not everybody knows about them. So onyx really is a tremendous tool for the bird hunter. And I'll remind you that the code pheasants or quail gets you 20% off 
at Onyx and generates a donation to our habitat mission. And another tactical one out of Eric, wear waterproof or water-resistant boots because uh, you might be able to cross a little bit of a water boundary and find a pheasant Valhalla. So I, uh, I speak from experience. There's some places that I'd wait till it freezes. And, you know, once you can walk across it, those birds and that little island of habitat have never felt pressure. So it's like opening day all over again. So really, really valuable tools. Um, Renee, Eric, Matt, really appreciate your time and sharing not only your expertise, but, um, you know, the good work of our volunteers. It's so critically important for people to attend those chapter events. They're the lifeblood of our organization. And hopefully, if you're listening to this, whether you're able to attend the event or maybe you can just make a donation to that local chapter, it does absolutely go to a good cause for us and helps us create more habitat access and a next generation of hunters too. And as I close, Matt, Matt almost stole my touchdown call but my my singular tip is always follow the dog especially when it's hunting season because you know something good is gonna rise whether that's a rooster a covey a quail or just one hell of a good time because it's now upland hunting season let those dogs out of their kennels and go explore nature because uh it's uh good for the body it's good for the legs, good for the heart, and it's good for the soul. Thank you for listening to this episode of On The Wing Podcast. Please, whether you go to a banquet or join Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever on the website, please get involved in our habitat mission. Thanks, everybody, for listening.